0: This should be also the part where we say Paul invented that term. No,
1: (laughs) no, we don't talk about that anymore. Uh, We Uh, should let everyone listening to the podcast know that Paul Ford invented the term content strategy.
2: goodness, Rich, it's my favorite kind of episode. You know why? Because I'm joining you as co-host? No, oh. that I just take for granted at this point. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should celebrate that. But we have guests from the company here to talk about work they did. And you know why I love that? Tell me. They have to be nice to me. It's just fantastic. It's the best kind of guests.
1: I wouldn't get ahead of ourselves here, Paul. Let's see how this you know, goes. Frankly,
2: history has shown that that is not actually a requirement of work at Postlight nor is it does it impinge on your success if you tell the co-founders <laughs> that they they completely <laughs> need good. to shut up No it really doesn't I mean I'm, I'm hearing there's it's we get disagreed with a lot. Maybe that'll happen on today's show when we talk to Adam Pash and Liz Tan. Hello Adam Pash and Liz Tan.
3: Hello Paul Ford and Rich Ciotti. Oh, hello Adam then Liz tell
2: the people uh, what your title is and what you do at Postlight.
3: Uh, Yeah, my name is Adam Pash. I am a partner and director of digital strategy here at Postlight.
0: I am Liz Tan, and I am a lead product designer at Postlight.
2: We don't do this often enough. We're going to talk about work we did. We're going to talk about the work we did for MailChimp. There's a case study on our website. There's all sorts of good stuff. Take it back for one second. Richard, you uh, one day MailChimp called. And you did the most of the talking. What did they say? What did they want?
1: Well, you know, it's it's actually our favorite kind of starting point where they said, this isn't good. Not about us. Not not about Postle. No, not about us. Uh, MailChimp <laughs> is a wildly successful company. I don't think I need to describe what MailChimp is to anyone listening to this Frankly, podcast.
2: normally we explain everything, but... To podcast listeners, you do not have to define chip. <laughs> yes,
1: that's right. That's right. And they said, look, you know, we've killed it with small business owners, medium-sized businesses and whatnot. We have a platform. We have an API. And we want to re-engage. And hard stop. They had ideas. There was a memo, if I recall correctly. But there was a lot of ambiguity around it. And so we gave it shape. Uh, We flew down to Atlanta to MailChimp's headquarters and we pitched them what we do over six months. And look, full disclosure, we even said in that meeting, we said, look, here's where we're generally going to take you. We're going to aim for this continent. But there's a lot that's going to be defined as we go. There's a lot that's going to be figured out as we go in terms of what we're committing to and what we deliver for you guys. And I think that kind of ambiguity, which is really founded in a level of, of trust and goodwill you have to build with a client, is I think why this project uh, was such a big success.
2: What I remember, in addition to it being really exciting to get work with MailChimp, which is a hell of a platform, everybody came back with lots of monkey-related swag. They were so- just
1: very, it didn't feel like you were going there and they were kind of sizing you up and eyeing you up and down to see if you, they wanted to hire you. It was, they, they were just great. They immediately killed that sort of client vendor pitch dynamic out of the gate. So it just was very warm and uh, I'm just glad we got the chance to do it. And now we've, we've built this relationship with them. So
2: Okay, so now we land the work and it mm-hmm. has to get done. And, and actually, I'll start with Adam. Adam, can you describe what we were supposed to do?
3: To set the stage a little bit, MailChimp is, I know they don't need introduction, but they are an email marketing platform, Um, but they don't just do that. That's MailChimp.com. They also have a transactional email platform, uh, which is typically the kind of thing that a developer reaches for when they want to send sort of like uh, one-off event-triggered emails. Say I have a password reset notification in my application or, you know, any sort of like small like again, transactional email kind of describes it, and they had these two different things, and they were they were totally disparate experiences. They didn't live together. One was called Mandrel at the time. Mandrel was kind of beloved among developers for a while, and then it kind of got left. and you know, started collecting some dust on the shelves of Mailchimp. And they wanted to bring Mandrill more into the fold. They wanted to unite these two um, experiences with the MailChimp developer for the marketing API and this transactional API. And so we were kind of setting out to do that work, to figure out how we do the content strategy to bring that stuff under one umbrella, sort of fold it into the MailChimp brand, and update a lot of really kind of like out-of-date content that's lived across all sorts of channels uh, in the MailChimp universe.
2: Let me point over to Liz and go, Liz, I mean, developers, they're
3: like animals.
2: They'll read whatever. You give them some API docs in a text <laughs> document. They don't deserve any better than that, I, I, and in fact, I've seen API docs all over the internet. They're garbage. Who cares? That's just a highlight. Get.
1: We are recruiting, so they're very cute. Yeah, animals. that's right. That's right. <laughs> but We're they are
2: <laughs> no. fluffy, well, like, cute animals. You know, let me let me just be stubbornly. Like, I understand this is like a technical writing project, I and mean, we might have to update our code. But why do we need design on this?
0: Yeah, we need design, <laughs> and, and and everything. I mean, it's user experience, right? Developers are users, and so. There's a lot to consider there. I think part of this work was also to establish trust again with the developer community. So, as Adam was talking about the mandrel getting kind of collecting dust, like it it also made some developers feel kind of left behind and uncared for. So, to build trust is not just to, you know, definitely we need to fix the content and make the actual you know, the stuff good, uh, but we also need to give it a nice wrapper to, to really like signal that.
2: So interesting. So respect is a big thing that you're talking about here. Like we want to show respect to this audience and we need good design to do that.
0: Yeah, and to, to expand
3: on that, the, you know, MailChimp is, as you said, enormously successful, um, but they have competitors uh, and those competitors were kind of like aimed a lot at the developer community. And that community, once they get engaged in a platform is like, very engaged in it, they buy into it, they stick with it, they spend money there. So it, it was important like from a business perspective to get those to re-engage with those engineers. Because
2: that's how you get lock in because when you when the engineer says, "No, I'd really rather go with platform X. What are you going to do? You're going to say yes.
1: If you want to hear a passionate counter argument, tell a developer not to use their technology of their choice and to just use the other one that's about two years older. And you know what you're doing here in a lot of ways, A, it's yeah, it's a tool. It's in it's a reference point. You can look up stuff, but really you're creating an environment where evangelists can can take hold and actually sell your product for you. Developers are very passionate when they lock in on a platform. Which leads me to a question here, I guess for both of you. To me, when I think about developers, there is the person that just wants to go right to the docs. They don't want a story, they don't want a case study. They know what to they just they like to pick up and run. And then there is the developer that is you know, the, the API is pretty elegant. You don't really need to be a hardcore developer. How do you, you know, entice that user in? Like to me that's distinct. There's the pro who just likes to play and just immediately brings it, you know, right into their IDE and just wants the code. And then there is the person that's like, is this the right tool? Is this the way I should go? And so Talk a little bit about how do you reconcile those two things? In effect, the pro hardcore user and the the sort of more casual, is this the right fit for me?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, from a top level, when you come into the sites, you know, and you're evaluating services, you're just looking at what they look like, you know, are these, do these look like up to date? Do these look modern? Whatever, you know, um, but then when you, when you want to address those individual users, obviously... Uh, the docs person is going to dive into the API reference, right? And the same thing, you want, like, a modern best-in-class API reference that really just sort of, like let's you get into the nitty gritty for for mailchimp specifically we created tools for you know four or five different languages that then you get code snippets alongside of the API reference so it's really easy it sort of that starts to address both users because it's just a copy and paste but to address the less experienced user um the big thing that we did from a content strategy perspective was we wrote a lot of guides and the guides were really sort of the context setting that says like here's what you use this thing for. Here are examples of uses, and here we're gonna walk you through like your chat app for for vegetarians called Chatatui, which is a real example we have in one. Uh, Here's sort of like how you would integrate this thing into your your workflow. Um, So it really kind of like holds your hand in the process and, and sort of introduces you both to the product and the use cases of that product, and alongside working code, you can copy and paste into your app and sort of modify to your needs. So obviously
2: we're not doing this in a vacuum. In fact, we're providing a service to our client, right? Let's talk about that for one second. What is the Mailchimp team like on the other side and how are, how is this working together?
1: As an outsider who was getting, I think it was weekly or every other week check-in, the Mailchimp team did something really impressive at Postlight and it was and it's it's going to sound conflicting, but they they balanced it really well. One was they drove. They literally were like, "Listen, The 11.08 a.m. train is going to leave. If you've got thoughts and feedback, let us know, right? Which is... That's why they hired us. Like, that's a tricky thing, partly why they hired us. That's right. That's right. We were brought
2: in to truly get something done. And we had good partners on the other side. They were good listeners that gave feedback. And they never got in the way of us shipping, which can happen with clients. Like, MailChimp, on the other hand, was very much like, absolutely, get it across the line. Maybe because they're a software firm and they understood, like... We gotta launch, otherwise we can't ever really start.
1: I think that's right. I mean, there were. I, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but the audience grew over time. There were more people attending meetings <laughs> as the meetings. It's like, hey, guys, the Postlight team is doing some interesting stuff. You should come give, give your two cents. That's always the sign of a successful project. It, it is, but it is also uh, has the potential to derail a project. Right, that really loud person that shows up, and you know, bless their hearts, but. The train is supposed to leave on time. We have committed. Postlight is very much value-driven rather than time-driven. We don't want to drag it out, which a lot of agencies don't mind dragging things out. We actually wanted to get the work done. So talk to me about balancing that out. I know, Liz, you saw some of this as you were getting design feedback. The train's leaving, but we'd love to hear your thoughts. (laughs) So those two phrases are a tension that Crops up again and again in engagements. How did that play out for you guys? Think of it from an advice perspective. What can you share for designers? They don't even have to be in an agency. It could be an internal design team at any company that is dealing with that kind of tension.
0: I mean, I guess I'd start by saying that the clients were pretty clear about what they want, and we had a really great kickoff where you know we talked to all the stakeholders, we understood what the problem space was, and. On the other side of it, we got a lot of trust from our clients to do the work. At every meeting, they, they called us the, the subject matter experts. You know, they, they wanted us to bring the answers to them and help them solve this problem. And they were great partners in that they were the type of partners who cleared the path for us internally for us to do the work.
1: Did you have an advocate or a couple of advocates that were clearly on our side in terms of like reducing the static as it was moving along?
0: Yeah, most definitely. That was instrumental to, to the success of the project.
3: Yeah, I can kind of expand on all of that. So we had three tracks of work on this project. We have engineering, we have content strategy, we have product design. And that's a lot of work going on at any given time. And we have to like communicate that work back to the client. So we had these bi-weekly presentations and these weren't just like, you know, hey, here's what we did last week. These were like presentations where it was like we were sort of both selling and showing. Like, this is what we're doing. This is your chance, as you said, like the train's leaving the station. This is your chance to to say yay or nay on this, to weigh in. Otherwise, we're moving ahead to the next time. And because I think of that urgency uh, that was created by these meetings, the meetings grew. Like, as you said, more and more people started showing up, which then also meant that every time we did another one of these meetings, we were setting the stage yet again. Like, here's what we're here for. Here's what we're doing. Because people were there who hadn't seen it before, who didn't really know. And we had made the mistake early on of not doing that. And then those meetings would get derailed instantly by someone being like, hey, what, what what's going on here? And you'd be like, oh, yeah, well, last meeting. Yeah, OK, you weren't there. That, OK, let's let's. Uh.
2: This is more of a comment than a question. Yeah, 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 the, yeah. You
1: know what it's like? It's kind of like in last week's episode of blah, blah, blah. And it catches you up real quick because you don't know who every track would start with last week's recap
0: it actually it ended up working to our advantage because it meant that even the people who have been in the room from day one know what that you know what's the goal here for today you know what have we done already and we continue to take them along on that journey without them having to be like what did we do last week what did we do the week before or you know talk about like decisions that we've made last week and it, it just sort of dives people right into the the work
1: just last thought here. People are busy. A lot of times, this is the thing they get to come and check out. They have no idea what's been going on. You get, you're sort of saying, good to have you here. Look, the, the owners of the effort, the real stakeholders that think about it a lot, that's different. But a lot of people visit an effort and just sit in to sort of give their two cents. And they don't know the context. So I think it's it's useful to have. So Liz, here you walk in and you have
2: a very famous monkey. There's an extremely famous monkey and a very nudgy, nerdy audience that I think, you know, Adam, Rich and I are all part of. So I think it's fine to throw us under the bus a little bit. Like a very specific audience. They need a lot of focus. They care deep things about things like dark mode matter about as much to them as maybe the presidential election does. And so here we are, Liz, here's your monkey. Here's the developers. It's a pretty formidable brand. Also, and Positive brand. So where do you get started? How do you negotiate that to build a product like this?
0: Uh, research. Just always going back to, you know, talking to the users, talking to developers. We interviewed developers. We talked to all of our wonderful Postlight engineers in-house. Lots of opinions. I'll tell you that.
2: They're all wonderful. They're very opinionated. Um, so opinionated.
1: Wonderful animals. Let's keep mm-hmm. up with the theme. <laughs> right. That's right.
0: And then we also talked to MailChimp engineers internally. What did they want their brand to be, you know, they're the real like ambassadors of the developer community of Mailchimp. So we talked a lot about what do we have now? What is the future vision? What do they wish this thing was? And from there, we moved. We moved to figure out what to do with this thing.
1: Was there like, you know, brand police, like, you know, brand compliance document you've, you know, the kerning on the font is not acceptable. Like, did you get any of that? which i look uh, that's i'm making it sound really negative but it's a lot of people are very protective of their brands and it's understandable in some cases
0: they have a really strong brand and i think it makes sense to protect that brand at any cost and make sure that it's consistent with what they're trying to do it it a brand like that doesn't happen overnight you know it's it's many years in the making sure. so i always have like a lot of respect coming into projects like this to follow their guidelines, to like, you know, we're, we're an agency. A lot of our work is just to help them, you know, get to the next level, but we're not here to like get their systems, you know, we're not here to like start over.
3: At the same time, what you end up with when, when Liz is doing that work is something that like looks like MailChimp, but for developers, right? So like it has that brand identity of MailChimp, but it's less so like I'm a developer, I land on that page, I know I'm at the developer page for MailChimp versus MailChimp.com, which is a different audience. And like early on in this process, I think one of the most powerful videos that came out of Liz and, and her team's research was a video of a Postlight engineer trying to find the developer documentation on MailChimp.com, he was looking at it and he did not know he was on it. And he started clicking all over the site. And this like one artifact, this one video became like a really powerful tool in any meeting to sort of orient people around the goals of this project, which was just like, there is a problem here. And like, it's, it's very straightforward. Someone is at the place they're supposed to be and they don't realize it.
1: Postlight's success is determined by the relationships we're able to build beyond the projects they hire us for. Uh, we're excited to continue to do work for MailChimp, and we've built that relationship and built that goodwill. And that makes it way easier for quote-unquote sales, right? We don't have to go back in and repitch because we've built goodwill and we've built trust. What's the advice you would give to teams that frankly are constantly... Pitching other teams, even outside of the agency context, because there are departments in big companies that are doing this. And what I watched happen is little by little, we kept gaining trust. And this is sounding like just the most smooth sailing, rosy story, but there are bumps, right? And and so what are, you know, how did you meet those challenges when there was friction as you're going through it?
2: And in specific, right, like like engineering kind of tends to sell itself. But here we're talking about the value of content and design. So you really have to show. You can't tell. So talking about that, right? Like, how did you build consensus around our editorial strategy and our design strategy?
3: You know, it's it's a lot of what you end up with when you need to convince people that, that they need new content, new content strategy, a new approach to how they do content is you need examples like you need to be able to show them like. Here, here are some weaknesses of what we have right now. I mean, the whole content strategy thing, right? It's, it's, you, t- you do this giant content audit where you just understand every piece of content that they put out in the world. Takes, take 45
1: seconds and define content strategy.
3: So, content strategy, um, and I'll sort of use MailChimp as an example to ground it. It's about understanding all of the digital content that they have and that they're putting out into the world, specifically in this case around their developer content, doing a full content audit. So, you really wrap your head around that and inventory of what they have, and then you start looking at, at what goals are you actually trying to, to achieve with this content? How the content is succeeding and failing at meeting those goals? And then starting to make recommendations for like, okay, what, what do we actually want to do going forward? What makes sense? What will what will best achieve those goals? Um, and that includes doing a lot of research into what other people are doing well when they're trying to solve those problems and sort of incorporating all of that into a series of recommendations for for how that content strategy should work going forward,
1: Liz. A lot of what Adam just said here's. a, I mean, outsider sounds like design. And
0: it, honestly, it's, we went down the same path. You know, we did a lot of research of auditing what they currently have on the developer website. We, mm-hmm. you know, took a look at what other competitors are doing. A lot of our our work too had to do with convincing MailChimp that this needed to feel distinctly for developers, which meant that it couldn't look just like MailChimp.com. That was a big thing that we needed to fix.
3: Um, and, and it actually, it is, there is a lot of overlap and there was a lot of collaboration between the design team and the content team with this. Um, and in fact, in some organizations, I think content is is joining sort of the design as part of their, their org.
2: No, that's right. Facebook, they have taken, I, I think they're renaming content strategy to content design.
3: This
1: highlights a great, I mean, a key point is, you know, uh, I always, as a product manager, uh, I used to be a product manager in my past life, I always fear what I call the empty shell problem, which is a lot too much design without content and without real data coming in, whether it's an application and whatnot. Yes, you can pour, you know, lorem ipsum into whatever. It doesn't do justice to what you're trying to solve for most of the time. And I wonder, is this something we're seeing more broadly as a trend where content is is almost sitting next to design as you think about design?
0: I think content is always next to design. I've never been successful in a project where we're just designing in a vacuum. I mean, same goes to engineering. We always need all three of these pillars next to each other to be able to do this successfully. And specifically for this project, like from day one, this is a content-led experience. I mean, if you look at the site, there there is certainly design, and there's design beyond just, you know, what you just see. It's beyond the colors, beyond the font. But without the words, like this website would be empty.
1: Sure. We don't have engineering here, Paul Ford. Paul, There was an engineering track as well, and they did some really, really great work. Well, we, we built out API
2: libraries that people could easily plug in, right? Like that's, that's such a big part of the step. Lowered the barrier, yeah. Something wild and almost hilariously relevant to this just happened, which is somebody wrote in to tell us about some challenges that they have reading our newsletter, which is exactly the kind of feedback that you expect to get. And they wrote a P.S. This is someone named Adam wrote P.S., Thanks for the updated MailChimp dev docs and API libraries. I swear to God, this came in at 118 p.m. It's 136 right now. As a longtime MailChimp API user, this is a welcome development and perfect timing as I'm migrating a large audience from an enterprise publishing data platform to a custom database app that integrates with more modern services like MailChimp. So literally, there you go. <laughs> the level of integrated Amazing. brand marketing things happening right now is, is more than I've ever seen in my lifetime. Look you know as I'm listening to this I'm hearing a few specific things that are that are really important, which is one design and content living together with engineering but but really living together and working together and sort of using the same process. Two, a lot of research driven and not research in a, as much quantifiable as much as a, a storytelling that you can use to get buy-in. Over the life of the project, so like, why are we here? Well, let me show you this very short video in which an engineer truly can't, you know, get get what they need, and so we're here to solve that and, and move it forward. And you know, we did a good job. We literally got an unsolicited email about the the job we did, which is hell of a thing. Like, I'm very proud of that. So, those two lessons really stuck out in my head.
1: Yeah, I think I, I would add one more. You know, user research is is like we should learn how users work, and there's another benefit oftentimes unintended to going and talking to people. And that is it creates alliances. It creates a a connection so that when you do hit some friction, you've got people that felt heard and can connect to what you're doing and will defend you. I'm, I'm kind of wading into sort of the political side of things, but this is meaningful for us. When you're able to build that goodwill on the floor, it tends to ease stress later on as you get into, you know, sign offs and big decisions that, you know, have to have to be made for the next phase. Political goals are great. If you achieve them by doing the work. Absolutely. Absolutely. This isn't manipulation. It's just people feeling heard. That's right. I proved that this could work. (laughs) Therefore, we should do more of it. That is a completely fine case for anyone to make. Download our new white paper catalyst. It's all about that. I've been in that meeting. Everybody on this podcast has been in that meeting where someone shows up. You're not sure why they're there, but they were invited or added on because someone felt it would be important. And they take a posture that's almost defensive because they're feeling like, why is this the first time I'm seeing this? And it's it's I've seen that way too many times. It's no one's fault. You can't canvas an entire company to make sure everyone's heard. But... It speaks to how much people value being heard and listened to as you're going through this process. I think it goes beyond just gathering good design feedback, but it goes, it goes into something deeper. It's worth noting we continue to do work with our friends at MailChimp. I mean, this was a success at all levels, content, design, product management, engineering, they're a great partner. Let's just say it out loud. You can still do great work and have an okay partner. They've been a really great partner for us. But I mean, look, not to take away. I mean, you guys did, you killed it. I mean, congratulations on this effort. It's also worth noting, there's an article, if you go to our website and you, you look up Liz Tan,
2: Liz did this work with a baby literally on her knee as the pandemic exploded. God, and- that's a cute baby though. It's, it's a cute baby. it's, just oh, it's out a of cute. We, a we won't bit. we won't say her name because we. She even has a cute name. We won't we will protect her identity here on the podcast.
1: Yeah. But woof. Wait, wait till you fi- wait till Mailchimp finds out we're billing for that baby.
2: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, but it's actually it's a it's a great article about the complexities of leading and doing your job and moving forward, getting promoted in the middle of truly a global catastrophe. So, <laughs> great work, everybody.
1: <laughs> There's the title for your how-to book.
2: <laughs> That's right. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, no, it was great work. It was a, it was a long project. And it was a hard project. And we were hired because it would be a long, hard thing to get done. And, and uh, it's great that we're still working with them. They've been a great partner, too. We've
1: been very lucky. Guys, come back on the podcast again soon. Anytime you want. Our pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Here. All right. So, Rich, that really was a little
2: uncanny that I received a completely appropriate email that also happened to come from another Adam, uh, which is interesting. Also do We're not going d- <laughs> to dig into that very no, much. No, no.
1: No, they did great work. We're really, really proud of this work. It's You can check out the case study and the backstory at postsite.com. We waded into some new waters with it and we just stepped up and, and just killed it. I feel that way too. I feel that
2: this this is just a lovely piece of work, and uh, it looks great too. Like I, I know it sounds, it's not something people think about. This is to me like when design really matters. It's in environments in which people don't tend to celebrate design. Yes, like redesigning Vogue. You know, like let's say we're gonna give you the whole magazine. Pole position, world class designers working hard. You know, Condé Nast, etc. But. Caring enough about the developers who are like trying to get the website up that allows for easy sign up for like the local charity or the person who makes the the potpourri and they want to sell it like serving them really well is the good stuff. I like that a lot. Thank you to Adam and Liz for coming on. Um, we'll put some show notes in and uh, check out the case study on our website. This is probably the purest expression of, of this podcast as a marketing product, but also very true about what we do and, and what we care about. So, Some good lessons I <laughs> learned there. No I hope apologies. You yeah, no exactly. apologies. No, I hope you enjoyed. Have a great week. Bye!